for just about everything for the outdoors. Go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Today is August 25th, 2020, and today we have Byron Horton on from the Whitetail Experience. Welcome to the Fall Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Blasey, and today is episode 126, and today is one Tuesday closer to opening day of deer season, so it's great. It's, that's a good feeling. The temps here in Michigan are starting to cool off in the evening, so that's really good. We need some rain really bad, but uh, I guess we can't have it all at at, uh, at once, so I guess we'll, we'll, we'll take what we can get. But anyway, today's podcast, I have Byron Horton on. He was on a couple months ago, and we were talking a lot about filming and self-filming your hunts, and that's a great episode as well. But Byron came on today, and we're going to be talking about a plethora of things. We're talking about mobile hunting, because that's something that I'm getting into this year a little bit more. We talk about his 18 acres that he grew up kind of hunting, um, you know, private ground, because he's a public land hunter. So he does, you know, hunt that a little bit, but we talk about that. So small acre stuff, and uh, we get into his mobile setup and, and, and how he you know how he does things getting into the stands in the morning if he uses a headlamp stuff like that what he does to be more efficient so it's really cool and we talk about how he reads sign and how he did you know what what sort of sign he sees where he's like okay i got i gotta start hunting right here you know so as he's he's working through and he sees things like rubs or scrapes or whatever when that light bulb goes off and it's like well shit i need to sit right here we need to stop so how he like discerns all that stuff so it's a great episode i can't wait to get into it that's basically what i have uh no update yet on justin so i i i think he didn't 
have an opportunity at a mule deer out in Utah, but I'm not positive. I have not been able to talk to him yet, so we'll have him back shortly, hopefully. Um, he's somewhere in the world right now. <laughs> I don't know exactly know where he's at, but um, I mean, for a little update on my family farm stuff and, you know, the stuff that I hunt here in Michigan, you know, my one acre farm, it's, it's a little different this year. It's... <sighs> we have windmills going up all around the farm so the windmill people have all these deer screwed up i don't have any deer consistently on camera um, i do have one good buck he'll probably be right in the 130s uh, 125 to 130 somewhere right in there but he's not he's not consistent on the camera but i know he's there so that's a good thing and then there's another buck that's going to be probably a game time decision he's a really unique buck I think he's an eight or a nine point but he's really tall off his head not really wide um, but those are the two that uh, I'm gonna be shooting for over there now on my family farm a lot of people know that this is one of the better years that we've ever had up there for deer right now there are a couple bucks that are really good <laughs> I guess that's all I'll say um, and I've been keeping a close eye on them and that's where I'm going to spend a lot of my time. I feel like I'm going to try anyway and, and really hone on it, hone in on these deer and, and hopefully get an arrow in them. So that's my game plan, but that's kind of from a distance, you know, what I'm doing, I'm staying the heck out. I've, I've got other things going on, you know, with my daughter and then, you know, selling our house still trying to, you know, get that done and then moving. So it's honestly hunting. I hate to say it, but it's, it's kind of like really far down the line of priorities right now, but uh, I do have a pulse on what's going on, so I'm just trying to stay out of the woods and keep my impact low. So that's that's the game plan going forward right now. So with that being said, I'm going to jump over this interview with Byron, and we're going to get into it. This is a good episode. Get your notepads out because uh, there are some, some cool tips in here that you could probably take from. Hopefully, hopefully it helps you guys out. So Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for the support. And here's this interview with Byron. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Fall Podcast. And today I've got another return guest, but a damn good one. A one that I like to pick his brain about a lot of things. And Byron Horton from the Whitetail Experience. Welcome to the podcast again, man. Hey, man. Appreciate you having me on. Uh, it is the season. We've had some crispy mornings and uh, deer hunting is on the horizon. I, you know, I'm excited. You just had told me that you basically at two weeks or two or three weeks until you're going to Kentucky. I'd be lying to you if I said I wasn't jealous right now of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's going to be a, a new adventure, but that's a that's a long term goal. Hopefully, I've, I've never put boots to ground there. I've never hunted whitetails in, in what I'll call the earlier half of September. Um, it'll be a fun experience. I, you know. Kentucky's always been on my radar as well, and I've never, never been there to hunt, never been there to film, you know, nothing like that. It's one place I do want to go eventually and do it. Now, I guess the question I have for you is, like, you just said it off record, like, you know, June as hunters, we're like, oh man, season, like, we, we know it's coming, but then it gets into late August and we're like, shit, we're not even ready. So I guess the question I pose to you is, are you ready for it? <laughs> Um, I would need an afternoon of shooting broadheads at this point, but I could roll with, with the gear. Um, everything's kind of tuned in on that, that side of things. Well, for the most part, I'm, I'm tuned in on that side of things. Uh, fitness wise, I'm, I'm, I'm there. Um, 
I could go down there right now with limited e-scouting, I think, and get it done. But as far as my to-do list is, is a lot of broadhead shooting here in the next three weeks and a little more e-scouting. Um, but yeah, yeah, I could be ready to roll here this afternoon if it was go time. Okay. that That's a good spot to be in though. I mean, fling a couple arrows with broadheads and you should be pretty good. What, what broadheads are you going to be shooting? So I, I, I shoot the day six Evo, which is just like a, uh, it's, it's similar to an iron wheel and it is a price point, but, um, you know, it's a cut on contact, small bleeders, uh, build out a really tough material. And, and, and my arrow is essentially set up to how I hunt as far as like, I could have 12 yards and need to be able to punch shoulders. And, and, and so like, that's my setup is, is 30 inch draw, 550 ish grain arrow, and uh you know a small diameter arrow cut on contact so that's that's my head uh, of choice right now i got you is this your first experience you know this year with them or have you been shooting in the past no i we shot that head last year um i shot a very similar head uh the prior two years with the the magnus black hornets which are a similar style like you know two blade with a two blade bleeder um yeah, and, and and that's just that's kind of what I what I want as far as based on how I hunt, if you will. Yep. Have you ever went down the mechanical broadhead realm? You know, or were you always like cut on contact fixed blade guy? No, no, I was straight tricked by the industry back in the, the early oh <laughs> uh, the early mid two thousands and and like the rage commercial of an axe through an animal and yep. like dude, like I was like I got to shoot a rage, I, I got to shoot like what it was it Maxima red arrows with a rage broadhead that was all over like outdoor television back then that's what i thought i needed yep i got you and i've you know i've shot uh fixed blades ever since i was little my dad was like you're not shooting a mechanical and back then i mean mechanicals were like i don't think they were perfected you know they Mm -hmm. were like this this you know crazy thing that people are like ah you never know what's gonna happen but then you know, I remember it was around 2010. I think it was 2010. I got my first, like, I guess you could call speed bow. Like it was a quick, you know, I think it was a bear, uh, a bear attack or something like that. And it was, you know, a, a, a faster bow than I was used to. And I could not, you know, I, I just didn't know what my fixed blades were doing on every shot. So I actually went to a rage in 2010 and, honestly haven't looked back since it's the only thing I've shot for the last you know 10 years or so and I've had great experience with them but I feel like with a lot of a lot of guys it's a love hate with a mechanical whether it be a rage or you know uh, a broadhead the broadhead debate is like one for the ages you know (laughs) and it's like I I'm, I'm six half one dozen the other I just know what's worked for me in the past 10 years so I'm like I I don't want to switch it that's that's where I'm at with it Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And if I had like an antelope hunt, like, or a mule deer hunt where maybe I'm going to shoot something in that 50 to 70 yard range right. and I need like downrange better flights, like, yeah, like I would definitely look at that as a, as an option there. But like, if I look at my whitetail hunts, like it could be 12 yards and I've, uh, I've kind of got to hug the scapula shoulder blade area on a whitetail two sticks high in a bedding area, you know? Right. Yep. That that's that's interesting. I had I shot a buck a couple of years ago. I hit in the high shoulder with a rage, and uh, I, I didn't end up finding him. Didn't end up killing him. He ended up dying by a car accident later in that season. But that was that was honestly knock on wood. I'm gonna knock on wood here. But one of the or it is the only time that I was actually got 
basically shit on by a mechanical broadhead and i honestly equate it a lot just to my shot placement my shot placement was i rushed the shot you know he was at 32 yards i hit him like high shoulder so if you take the leg straight up like right at the top of his shoulder blade it was not a lethal hit at all uh i mean i got about six inches of penetration still but i i hit nothing i mean i feel like if uh I don't know. I feel like if he was a little steeper of an angle, maybe a little closer where my my arrow was going in a little steeper, maybe I would have had a little better opportunity. But at 32 yards, it was it was out on a, on a field edge. It was my arrow was kind of I wasn't that high in the tree. My arrow was kind of like a, almost straight through him. Really, I mean there really wasn't much of an angle in it at all. So I hit nothing fatal. Um, mm. But that was my only really bad experience with it so far. Yeah, yeah, and I, I really never had a negative mechanical experience. A buddy of mine did, but like that doesn't sway me. I just kind of looked at how I started hunting and and kind of saw that mm, for me, I think I think that the the realm of the fixed blade cut on contact makes sense right now. For sure, I I totally agree with you, man. And we kind of went down a rabbit hole. I did not even plan on sh- on talking <laughs> about broadheads, but I like it. <laughs> Uh, to kind of like get into what I want to talk about today is, is a little bit of a mixed bag of kind of things. Last time you were on, I mean, you were on like three months ago and we had talked to you about, you know, filming filming your hunts and, and editing and stuff like that. You are, you know, the producer editor of whitetail addictions, which I want to applaud you right now, dude, you did a great job of that. This, this season, I really enjoyed watching all those episodes and watching all those dudes put down just hammers of deer. Like I loved it. So, you know, good job to you. I, I really enjoyed watching that stuff. Thanks. Thanks. A little bit. I uh, did. It was the first real big, big project, a lot of learning curves, but yeah, let's, let's dive into some hunting talk. I do appreciate the kudos there. Yeah, for sure. So, Recently, you have been putting out on your Whitetail Experience podcast, you just put out a podcast, just to like a kind of an update, and you had mentioned on there, you have 18 acres of family farm private ground. Now, you're a public land guy, but mm-hmm. you grew up kind of cutting your teeth on this 18 acres, didn't you? So... I would say, I, well, I cut my my teeth definitely on private land, but it was my buddy. My buddy had a, his dad bought 120 acres in a real good county, Coshocton County in Ohio, and that was where I cut my first three-ish season as a whitetail hunter, somewhere around 18. Um, yeah, I was I was 18, and I think we did a gun season and then a full-blown archery season or two before I started kind of branching to the public thing, and then my family bought that small piece right after college um so that puts me at 22 23 23 ish uh okay so but but i hunted a a small farm before that during college a little bit more i really didn't jump to the public stuff until like um right in college maybe the later half and then right after was full full send at that okay So I guess the the intriguing part to me, and and I'm I'm a sucker for some small small ground, whether mm-hmm. you know it be forty, fifty, sixty acres, or you know five acres or less, whatever it might be, I'm a sucker for it. So now you were saying that on that eighteen acres, it's all wooded, but it's in kind of a bad like neighborhood. So what makes it? you know, not, not so good. Like is, does your mom and dad live on the ground? Um, or is it just one of those things that just, 
I, I don't know, topography-wise, is it just like sitting on like the worst spot ever? So I, 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 the deer numbers out there are actually pretty good to decent. Like I, I, I'd see a decent amount of deer. There is a a lot of people who have five to twenty acre tracks in the area that 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 hunt, and so like I don't. I've run trail cams the last four or five years, and really, you know, I don't have a lot of bucks over one forty, and. and, and like, I guess a, a decent way to also explain this, if you said you had one day to hunt and you need to kill a doe, like, I would totally go to that piece. Like, good deer population. I know how to ambush them. Got a couple good bedding areas. That's the piece. But if you said you had to kill a 140 plus, I would take any one of my public land um, places over that. If, if assuming blind, no trail cam data, just kind of based on a five-year oh history of of hunting all those places and and i do have cows on one side of me that kind of are there some years and some years not in the fall and if they're there in the fall like it basically shuts down one side of my property um and 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 it's location in the county um if you were 10 minutes to the the west like you have a much bigger better potential for 140 to 160 caliber deer but my, my forester guy i've sent him some trail cam picks and some harvest picks and he goes dude that's that's kind of what you're gonna get uh, based on where you are in the in, in yeah. the county it's funny how that is because it's just like up here in michigan as well i mean different parts of the county i'm in you just you know 115 inch deer is is kind of what you're going for you know and it, and you know you go a half hour to the south a 150 is, you know, it's a realistic goal. So I guess my question to you is, is it like you said, it's a lot of timber. Is there any understory in it or is it pretty like pretty open, pretty mature timber? So that's been like an ongoing process. And, and if you look at some older aerial photos that, that I've had my forester dig up, um, one side used to actually be like a pastured ground. And so that side has some, some honeysuckle, which creates some, some horizontal structure. And it has some autobolive, which is like some horizontal structure. And, uh, I've been working a lot on my Southern slope to, to, oh, and I'm sure we'll dive into it, but I've done some TSI work, a lot of timber work there, obviously like a Southern slope kind of sets up nice for bedding in general, especially for that fall winter time frame. Um, but, but, you know, it's, 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 I would say, uh, the, I do have some blackberry bushes as far as that are starting to grow in. My hope is really in the next two to three years, really just thick in that, you know, I, I've, I've started my process roughly five years ago with just some basic hinge cuts. But in the last two years, I have been out there running saws, doing hacking squirts, girdle squirt stuff, um, really and in, in, in just kind of realizing, okay, this is, you know, I need th- three-ish ambush points, and I can always be mobile if I want. But I need this place to have a high browse count, a high stem count, diversity uh, of what's out there. I, I'm starting on a food plot because that's also a hole in the bucket. So, so yeah, it's a, uh, it is definitely a timber habitat though. It's it's no, by no means ag land, and there's no real ag in the general oh five by five area. Okay, so you you're kind of struggling for food then. Is that what you're kind of saying? Yeah, I, yeah, there, there or are the area hay, is anyway. Yeah, there are some hay fields, clover, like, and then clover grows in the bottom, a lot of them hay fields. Yep. Um, 
the deer numbers show me that there's enough stems, but I do think there's probably some migration that goes on there in the uh, later half of season where those deer will probably shift a, a bit to go find the best food source in the area. Yeah, definitely. And that, that kind of sounds like what I did with the one acre. Now, my whole thing, when I went in there and first started in that, I would go through there and check the stem count, see like, you know, really dissect like what the deer were eating and kind of make my assumption of how much browse pressure that's getting. I don't know if a lot of people, if they actually do that, but I guess that's just the way that I'm kind of anal. And I think that's a way to do that because we can't, obviously we can't bait here or do mineral. Not that, not that that will give you a good indication or how many deer are there, but you can do trail cam surveys that way and, and get a good, you know, a rough estimate, I guess you could say. But when I went in there, like I figured out that my deer count is about where it probably needs to be. I think it's getting a little on the thicker end, you know, uh, of what I've been able to glass this year. And I, I think it's time to take a doe or two, um, this year on that farm. And, but my, my only problem is, it's like, it's, it's one acre. So it's like, I don't want to go in there and blow up a doe. And right, when it's doe <laughs> early in October and then, you, yes, you got to go pull her out and you're like, just like cringing as yes. you're like, man, like, yeah, and that's that's kind of where I'm at with it. But I'll tell you, when when we opened up that canopy of that one acre, it was unbelievable the amount of uh, browse that we put to the forest floor. And now the shoots, you know, we did that. We started it three years ago, I think three winters ago. And now I went in there. I haven't been in there in three months. The last time I was in there three months ago, and I just let it like to let it go. I got a cell cam running in there. I mm-hmm. went in there three months ago, and I can hinge cut some of the new sprouts off of you know the oh, trees wow. that I already hinged in three years. Yeah, they're getting pretty big, like like softball size, you know, growth on some of them. Nice. So it's it's pretty cool. It's getting thick, and I can't wait to dive into it this year. So we'll see. Yeah, yeah, no, that's uh, that's been a, a uh, I I I did do some hinge cuts and stuff initially, and I girdled a few like big like maples with like multi trunks or, sure, or whatever. Yep. You can walk around the place and without looking like for the, the the girdled maple or whatever, you're like all of a sudden you're like, hey, there's a there's a crap ton of you know smaller you know quarter diameter to to baseball bat sized trees in this area, and sure enough, it, it was a. Uh, Oh, a girdled maple from, from a couple years ago. And I, awesome. I've done a decent amount of hinge cuts, but I'm almost, I'm almost now doing a lot more clear cutting, hack and squirting yep. and, and girdling. Um, some of like, I've got, I've got a beech nut problem, which I, I didn't know this until about two years ago when I talked to my buddy, Larry and uh beech nut beech trees really don't do a whole lot for deer. <laughs> Nothing um, <laughs> really. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're, they're awesome for squirrels and, and even turkeys, I think will, will do okay on beech nuts and stuff. But like minus like a good scrape location, my buddy Larry's like, dude, get rid of them. Yeah. Um, That's funny that you say that though, because we have the same, we have some beech, you know, beech nut trees on our piece on my family farm piece and it, it does nothing, but there's scrapes on them under them every year. Uh, mm-hmm. it, that's, that's kind of crazy that the same thing, you know, you in Ohio is, is, is the same as up here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, we see that across, uh, all the counties we hunt and a couple public pieces, the, the beach trees seem to be what they like, uh, for scrapes. Yeah. So I guess on, on the grand scheme of things, 
when you you know your attack with like the TSI and the, and the hack and squirt and all that stuff and the girdling, what like what was your game plan before you even started started up a chainsaw? Like were you saying were you sectioning off the eighteen acres saying okay I'm gonna try to make bedding here and and transition here or whatever or you know were you were you maybe saying I want to be able to hunt right here and this is how I'm gonna like you know basically persuade the deer to go around where a stand location might be like how what was your game plan going into that so i i I think a few things i've listened to the land and legacy guys and they and and they talk a little bit about is you know what is mother nature giving you like how does the what does the farm kind of naturally want to do like so so if i look at my aerial photo from like i think the 50s um that one side was old pasture so clearly like that side can, can, can essentially wants to do that. Um, I also think it was a mental, like, Oh, a mental state where I, you know, when we first got this 18 acres, I was like, I want to hunt all 18. I want this wooded track where I've got like maybe even up to like six stand sites, you know, and, and over the years I've kind of said, you know, I need about mm, two to three good ambush points and, and maybe like a rogue, you know, if, if, a, if a tree falls over the main trail and they shift by 30, 40 yards, I can I can make that move, obviously, with my 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 mobile stuff. But, um, you know, m- mentally, that was an adjustment a little bit. And then, you know, you, you hear a lot of guys talk about sanctuaries and giving deer certain things. And, and I, I listened to my neighbor guy who said one one December, this, is, this has been the first year I bought the place. He's like, you know, I, I occasionally I will glass a few bucks on your southern slope and and I kicked the buck off there. I think the first year hunting it, uh, I, in, I, I injured a buck one year, um, that ran onto that, that side. And so clearly like that point there's elevation there. They bucks generally like elevation in this you know area. Um, it sets up well for, 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 you know, North wind bedding. Um, and, and so like, I was like, all right, well, I'm going to essentially make that a sanctuary. I want that to be thick. I want that to, to essentially, you know, I'm going to put my deer there to bed as, as the main bedding area on the property. And, 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 you know, for hunting's sake, it set us up well, like I, I've got some, some, so I got a, an ambush point that I can slip into even late in the year when all the leaves are off. And if those deer are bedded, they're about mm, 250, 300 yards, but I can, I can probably slip in there if I, especially if I stay low in the tree stand or, or, uh, Oh, kind of shift that position, uh, just so I'm tucked out of their, their eyesight. And, uh, yeah, so I definitely think I I looked at one naturally what's there Two, how can I hunt the place, a little bit of historic information from a neighbor and, and becoming okay with only, you know, two to three ambush points really. Yeah. And that, that's, that makes a lot of sense. I like how you went back and looked at aerials back like from the fifties, you know, just to kind of see what, it was then and and, you know the progression through the years possibly just to to maybe get you know something you know trees were probably weren't there in that little pasture ground is there trees there now in the pasture you're right yeah and 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 there's there are definitely like less mature trees than than, than the other side and it's like kind of makes sense like i've got i've almost got oh if i look at what's naturally there i think um one that gives me the best area to probably put in a food plot and I'm starting on that process. And we're talking about a C minus level food plot for year one, but my hope is in a year or two, I can get to that maybe B minus range. Yep. Um, 
and two, like I, I, I thickened this, this area that, that used to be like old pasture. And so like, yes, there's some small trees in there, but I took out some of the bigger players and, and then, and it'll thicken back up and I have a good ambush point kind of, you know, between, um, there's a little bit of a, a terrain cut. And then obviously I've got my food plot I've been working on. And then I have my main bedding that's, that's, that's further back in the property, but, uh, I've got I, I've got the ability now looking at what used to be there and trying to maybe recreate it because one of the, like my favorite features to hunt on public land is like old pasture, small trees, two sticks high and a thicket kind of stuff. Okay, I got you. So that kind of sets up about like what you're talking about with public. Then I mean that's kind of what you like, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I kind of like uh, at least in farm country public. That should yeah. kind of be clarified. That, yep. Um, there I'm looking at habitat a lot more and I'm looking, um, I, you know, I, I shot my buck in 18 and, and, and something that a lot of deer hunters won't, won't go in. And, and you know, it's not climber friendly. Uh, I was two sticks high. Um, my second best hunt of 19, I was one stick high in a thicket. And, and it just seems like, uh, at least on public, like, like I'm, I'm, I'm eliminating a lot of hunting, uh, pressure or guys really don't look at that kind of stuff as an enjoyable sit because you may see zero deer, but you know, my, my, my best hunt of the, or my second best hunt of the year, I had three bucks inside 26 yards and a couple of them came to like seven. Um, and one was like 115 inch buck that worked about 16. And like, you know, if that buck's a couple inches bigger, that's a shooter. And, and I'd, I'd like nothing more than a 16 yard shot, you know, one and a half sticks high. So I got a nice, like, you know, trajectory into yep. him and out of him. That's like a chip shot, you know, kind of like you're standing on the ground in a way, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I kind of want to transition a little bit. You, you got my gears turning now um, about talking about one stick or two stick high. So what's the best way to word this, I guess? So let's say you're going to go in two sticks high. Like what justifies you how many sticks you're using? So, yeah, like, and I'm somebody like, um, this kind of started when I was running around like the first year working for XOP and, and listening to Cody talk. And he said, you know, my favorite, uh, setup is two. and this was back when it, it, there was no custom gear and, and, and you looked at, you know, the, the mobile hunting game back there was actually a lot heavier, a lot bigger than what it is now with a few different companies and stuff like that. So he's like, yeah, I like two sticks. Cause it's not too much profile off the back of the stand. And then he goes, I got a couple screw ins and I'm like, well, Cody's the best deer hunter I know on a personal level at this point. Um, why would I not try that kind of system right. or set? So, so I had the Cranford rope steps, um, bought those. And so that gave me the, the couple steps. And then I was running around with two sticks and, uh, I just kind of started finding myself, you know, just, well, and we had two, we had two stick gun hunted before that, which that's, that's a different game, you know, getting close with animal, like the gun, you can be 10 foot high and see really far, you know, if they do pick you off in the tree, like you have a gun. So, so you kind of have an equalizer there. Yep. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the bow hunting thing that, you know, hunting low and becoming okay with it started then. And don't get me wrong. It's not for everybody. Um, you got to have the right setup to do it. And you also, the, the big key is seeing the deer before they see you. Just like if you're like, uh, 
oh, still hunting or hunting on the ground. And you pick that deer up at say 40, 50 yards. And, and then it works into that 20 yard, that real killable distance. I think when you're hunting low like that, 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 that's a skill set you kind of have to have. And trust me, like when, when, when I started doing it, I was like, man, this just, you know, for years I've always tried to stretch and get high and, and get out of that peripheral vision. And that has its place. You know, if I go to the big woods, um, I'm bringing four full sticks, you know, or, 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 you know, to be determined on what my setup will be this year. But, um, you know, it, it's one of those things I will, I, I was running around with four Cranfords, two XOP long sticks and, um, you know, found that I liked the quick setup time. Um, and part of that was hunting some of those thickets where I was only going to have one to two shots, but, uh, I saw deer and I saw deer close and, and killable situations, even though maybe it wasn't a, a, the caliber of buck I was after. Um, I look at a hunt this year, I was, oh, two sticks high in a, in a hedgerow. And I had just got over the cover enough to shoot and I at crack of daylight, first legal minute, I hear a footstep and I was like, that deer's 15 yards from my tree. <laughs> sure enough, you know, 110 inch buck walks through and you know, if that buck's a little bigger, that's, that's a, you know, I think he was eight yards from my tree. Wow. Um, and, 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 uh, but, but I had the confidence to, to be there, to be low and, um, that's just, it, it takes, you know, just trying it a few times and, and cover has to, to be there as far as the, the backdrop, um, and then seeing those deer at 50 yards or, or seeing them before they see you huge. for sure. And th- so I guess that's, that's where I'm coming from is like, so you're, you're going in with two sticks and, you know, a couple, uh, Cranford, you know, you could either in public land, you can't screw in steps, but you could do screw in steps, but you're doing the rope steps. So now you're just getting above the canopy then. Is that what you're doing? Like the, the kind of like the lower level canopy? Yeah. And it, sometimes it's like a crotch in a tree. Sometimes I'm not below the canopy. I'm just like in a cluster. Um, it's, it's, it, it's almost like you're using the habitat that's in front of you. Yeah. Yep. That, that those deer, don't get me wrong. Like if you watch my video from this year, there's a day in the snow and I have two bucks just staring me down, but those deer are seven yards and they've already shown the vitals. Like it, it'd be one of those things like, um, they would have already been dead. You're saying right, like yep. they might, they would probably be looking at me going, what is this dude? Oh, boom. Arrows on way. Like, yep. you know, so, so it's, it's, it's just about sometimes, you know, what tree can hold a tree stand here. Yeah, um, for sure. Now, are you going in with, you're, you're legitimately only going in with two sticks or are you going in with three or four, but only using two? that's that's more the situation and even yeah i last year i ran around with four minis in farm country with one eater on the bottom um and i guess if it was a scouting mission i wanted to really lighten up i would take three okay and and one rope step like my 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 system changed obviously with with lone wolf custom gear coming to market um but yeah i was i was traditionally running around farm country with four minis um and three, if it was a, a, an evening scout where I may be on my feet for, for two hours and, and may not hang a stand, may hang a stand, um, especially like Oct- we're talking October bow hunts. During the rut, I kind of have destinations in mind for, for, for hunts. Gotcha. Yep. Now with the mini sticks, like how high are you getting with those aiders? 
Like if yeah, you, so, so like if you're going in with like let's say too many sticks and eighters, like no screwings, nothing. That's all you're going in with. How high are you getting? Um, I would say ten to twelve with without like super jumping up. And I have a couple videos on my YouTube where like. Like I, I literally did a stupid test. I was like, okay, let me get max hunting height out of three mini sticks. I threw two cable aiders and then my real long like rock climbing aider on the bottom one. I, I got to like mm, 17 and a half with three. But if you just had two minis like and with cable aiders, like you're looking more in that 10 foot range. Okay, so like three, three, let's say you got three minis and cable aiders, you're getting probably 15 feet maybe at the most. Yeah, yeah, it's almost like running three fulls with those okay. with those table okay. So yeah, fifteen foot, pretty easily, pretty doable. Yep, I'm just trying to paint a picture for you know anybody listening that's like that knows you know about the mini sticks or if they're running that like that system, then they know firsthand. But you're you're kind of a tall guy, right? I mean, you're how tall are you? Yeah, so I'm like six one, a buck eighty, so I'm pretty athletic. Um, but when I do these height tests, at least on my YouTube, like I try not to stretch super much between the sticks because like you're not going to do that in November when it's like, you know, sure, 20 yeah. degrees in the morning, 10 degrees in the morning. And, and you're going to have, you know, like I try to keep a realistic point and I, I do set my stand roughly about nine to nine inches to maybe a foot. Um, if I can get my arms around that tree, I might get to that foot mark, but generally nine inches, eight inches is, is what I like to set that stand above my top stick. Okay. So you're actually, is it your seat that's going above the top stick or the actual platform? The platform. It's almost okay. like an upward step, but, but again, I don't want to stretch like, like two foot to, to get into right. it. Sometimes that becomes, you know, especially when you're stepping into that tree stand, um, you know, that, that, that to me is not the, not the place to try and get more inches. Go ahead and stretch maybe that first stick. But when, if you fall, you're only going to fall three feet. For sure. You know? Yeah. You know, in that 15 to, I would say 15 to 20 feet range is kind of my sweet spot. Like around what I hunt around Michigan here. That's what mm-hmm. I like to get to. I always thought, you know, when I was in high school, you needed to get 25, 30 feet. And, you know, some situations, I guess you could, you know, you need to get that high, but man, your shot angle can be all wonky at sometimes. And it's, it's, I feel like there's more room, you know, more room for air, uh, you know, in my scenario and in my opinion, the things that I've went through, but that 15 to 15, to 20 feet, like I feel comfortable there. Like that's where I've shot a lot of my bucks. I mean, this year, this last year, when I shot my deer in Iowa, I was like 10 feet, maybe like 10 okay. feet in a, in a cedar tree that the cedar tree we probably shouldn't even have been in. But I mean, that was yeah, a tree we needed to get into. For that sweeter cedar tree. What's that? What was the name of that cedar tree? <laughs> that uh, the first one was tiny dancer. Tiny uh, dancer. That, yep. that was it. So that tree, I, I'll, I should send you a picture, but that tree um, at our head height, when we got our stands up there, Casey had put his, his thumb in his, in his, uh, his index finger around it. That's how skinny it was at our heads. And Mm -hmm. that was, it. it, you know, it was just one of those things that, like, you knew you had to be there, so you got to make it work. Um, And we made it work. And we could have killed out of that stand. And that, but then when we moved it, we got to a little bigger tree, but still, I mean, even if you had both your hands and cupped around that tree, I mean, it wasn't much bigger than that. And we had one stick to get us up, and then we just took branches the rest of the way up. But, 
I love cedar trees. We don't have enough of them around here in Michigan, but um, when we, when I go out west, like I love finding cedar trees for the scent. Uh, you know, they got good scent. You can carve them out any way possible, and you can usually get in them, and deer just do not look at you. I love them. Yeah, yeah, I've 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 literally heard multiple people talk about they they love the cedar tree for the cover aspect alone. Yep, definitely. So, so you're going in roughly probably three, four, six. What are you going to run this year? For so a setup? I am a double double step guy. Um, I really like that double step for that final transfer from from sticks to stand, just because you get a lot of boot room and. and you know, you get up, I, I just, I really like that. And so like, I've, I will be playing with the, the custom gear, um, doubles that they literally just came out this week. And I've been playing with those in the backyard. Um, I would say farm country. Like if you, if you said, boom, farm country hunt tomorrow, I'm going three of those with cable aiders. Uh, if I go to the big woods, I probably will go four plus like one, one step, like one Cranford rope step. Just in the big woods, you know, if you pick, if those deer come down the, the, the trail or whatever, that's like 10 foot above the tree you started climbing, they're eye level if you're only 15 foot off the ground. Like, right. Um, like I was, I was hunting this year four full sticks in the big woods with a big eater on the bottom. And so I was probably, I was probably pushing that, that 22, 24 foot mark, depending on tree. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm leaning um, as far as initial thoughts on, on what I'll be running around the timber with this this fall. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Um, now, what would be your ideal setup? I mean, I know you're big into the Lone Wolf Custom Gear and the, and the XOP. Like, you know, between those two, like, what is your ideal? Like, man, it's just one of the, the that piece of gear is, you know, I, I can't I can't go in the woods without it you know, is it a stick or is it, you know, a certain stand or, or what, what is it? Yeah, dude, I love the, the, the 1.0, um, on a hunting perspective because there's so many little things that, that help the, the grind of a, of a fall pursuit. Like if you said I could run, um, any other, like, you know, stick stand combo on the market and you can only use one of the best of the best, like, I would take the, the custom gear 1.0 because of the, the backpack shell feature. The fact that that stand like stays upright in the bed of a tailgate. And so then I can set my gear on there, tie on my, my extra layers, turn it around and then take it from the shoulder straps off, like almost like lift it off the tailgate in a upright position. Um, I really just, I, I, I hanging a eight pound stand is a little easier than some of like the, the, the 11, 12 pound, like say like what I came from with XOP from back in the day, because when you extend that, it's like holding a dumbbell. It's like holding a, hold a 13 pound dumbbell straight away from your body as you're like hanging it on the <laughs> yeah. frame yep. and then do it with an eight pound and tell me you don't feel a difference. You, you definitely do. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my baby. Like that's, that's, that, that just made my, um, made my life a little, a lot easier and, and made me, a hunt more harder like just hunt harder you know yep for sure so, so. i guess what I, I got some questions i want to ask you about mobile this year is going to be something that i'm definitely going to focus on especially in my family farm i have not hung one stand up there this year because i don't want to be forced to like 
I, I want to do this mobile thing. I've never been 100% mobile. Now, my one-acre farm, I'm doing set stands because my opinion with the deer that could be bedded real close, I just want to be able to get into a stand, and I don't have a lot of different it, you know, different options for stand locations. So um, those are set already, ready to go. But for my family farm, it's 215 acres. I can run and gun just about anywhere. So I haven't hung any stands because I wanted to, you know, really put forth effort to do this mobile thing. I might hate it. I might love it. I don't know. We'll see. But, um, you know, I, we have been, I have been mobile in the past. Like last year when I killed my Iowa buck, we got mobile and we, we, you know, moved a stand, hung it that day, sat it, killed him the next morning. I don't feel like that's true mobile. I think mobile hunting is, in my opinion, take the stand on your back go in, find a tree, set it, hunt it, take it down and keep moving. You know, that's mobile to me. That's what I want to that's what I want to do more of this year. Now, I have questions cuz I've never really done it as much as like you guys have and that was like your that was your attack. So, let's say you're going in the, in 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 a morning set, okay? So it's dark. You know, I know you like to get in really early. Like you want to be setting, you know, an hour before before even gray light. So are you using a headlamp uh, to start off with? Like, let's say it's a new area that you've never really been to. You're going in blind and maybe like a guess and check kind of thing. Are you using a headlamp or any sort of light to get in there? Yeah, I guess. Let me ask one caveat to the scenario. Um, do I have any pins in this location or is this just, Hey, I saw something that said I should probably go hunt that place and I'm going in for a morning set. You've got pins because I mean, you, you and I both know nowadays with Onyx and stuff like that, like people got pins all over. So you've got a pin, uh, but it's just a pin. Let's say it's, you know, you were e-scouting you're like, man, that pinch, you know, right there looks really good. I've never been in there. I'm going to try that in the morning. So then, then you're going in from there. Okay. Yep. Okay. So, so yeah, like I, uh, just step one, get there stupid early. Um, you know, we, uh, we don't sleep much during the rut, um, or late, you know, late October. And so like we try, we try to a lot of people to parking lots. And, 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 and so therefore we are also at the base of the tree. I like to be at the base of my tree a solid hour, um, before, before sunup, you know, don't get me wrong, hour 15, hour 30. That's great. If you can do that. Um, I realize that, that sometimes that's just not feasible for people, you know, um, based on drive times and, and, and everything or, or, or whatever. Um, so I, I am generally walking in full headlamp and I have obviously my Onyx that I'm, I'm looking to get to that pin location. Um, I'll go full beam mode as far as um, the headlamp up top, full white light. And uh, generally I have my fan sticks and then I also have like my exterior layers and bag on my on my backpack i know i i try to run cold leaving the truck i may have like uh gloves on my hands but that's about it and uh yeah so as soon as i i, I generally move pretty quick um as far as walking through the timber uh before i get to roughly 100 ish yards from, from where i think i'm going to end up setting up i move pretty quick during that time and Obviously, in the dark, I'm looking down with the headlamp. I angle it. I do occasionally pick my head up and are, are looking for eyes because I can tell you I have picked up a lot of deer at, oh, 40 yards, 50 yards. And uh, depending, like, you know, whoa, what I see, you know, like I may, okay, I should walk a little bit to my left or walk straight at them and just, you know, bump them 
Oh, basically not letting them catch my scent is kind of what I've, I've tried to do. Heck dude, I had a, a buck in the doe in the dark and I purposely ran in between them to try and split them before to, to think, okay, now I've got a potential bump and dump or right. Yep. He may circle back through here in the daylight. I literally had location a in mind and here I came across that buck doe pair and that rearranged my whole hunt. But okay. So I'm going to location. Once I get a hundred yards, um, I'm definitely like, I slow down my pace as far as what I'm walking. And I realized at some point, every step I take is super critical because of ground scent. Um, the last two bucks I have shot have either picked up my ground scent or been trying to pick it up as the arrow is going. And so like, you know, you can't, you don't want to walk backwards. Um, and, and you're okay to stand there with stand sticks on your back or even take it off. And you're assessing two to three trees, um, at that 30, 40 yard mark, because you don't want to walk 10 yards one way to then, you know, change direction and go 20, 30 yards the other, because you're leaving ground sense. So you, so you are really trying to pick up on, Oh, is there a rub over here? You know, I can see two of them now, like maybe a buck would come from that way. So I'm going to go to my kill tree that I've picked out and avoid stepping on, you know, that, that potential buck trail. Um, you know, you're always looking for for little factors as far as if you don't have a, a tree stand pin on your gps that says hey hunt this tree next to the beach with the split 15 foot in the air um and it's honestly man like you will get there and i will shine that beam and try and pick the best tree and, and that's the key to being early because i have gotten away with murder early like smashing through a thicket sun comes up 15 minutes into legal one buck and then like 30 minutes legal another buck comes through so so being early is super key if you're kind of stumbling around um i'm not somebody that waits for gray light i feel i can assess enough now if the sun came up and i i'm 40 yards off yeah by all means i would tear down and move but you know as far as assessing a tree it's 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 a guess um i do like oh sometimes i'll hedge my bets on two trails i don't try and grab everything but you know if you have a tree that is uh, 10 yards off the main trail. And then there's another tree that's 20. And then he's also got another trail at a, a 20 in an opposite direction. I will take that just to, to hedge my bets just a little bit. I don't try and grab everything. I don't want to look for the, you know, the, the tree that's 30 yards from four trails. I, I just think you're trying to get too much there. Um, and that's, that's really it, man. Obviously when I get to the base of my tree, uh, I kind of unpack there, um, stand sticks going on, um, I don't have to worry about my, my aider anymore. And it, it's, it's, it's a, uh, I guess a quicker process after that. I generally wear my, my harness in, so I'm not putting that on at the base of the tree. I do like to run a, uh, Ropeman one, which is like the attachment to your lineman's belt. I, I fought that for a year or two and then I bought that 40, $50 piece. And it's, uh, it's so nice for one hand operation for hanging stands. Cause you can take slack out of your lineman's belt. You can, you can, Oh, you can add slack if you need it for certain things. And it makes that whole operation super effective. The only thing I do after that, that's kind of uh, different is I do hang my stand in my like lighter layers. And then I come down and get fully dressed and, and, and then I go back up. And once I get up in my tree and, you know, I'm kind of comfortable, I switch to a red headlamp to set up my, uh, my camera gear because, uh, a white beam I think is visible for almost a mile, at least by the human eye. And then like a red, like a red beam is it, it like fades out after like three or 400 meters. So, 
I don't know if that matters to deer, but I'm also trying to go a little bit undetected from, from maybe guys pulling in the, uh, the public later. Okay. So that was kind of answered my question. So you, you go in with a white beam. Now you're not worried about that at all. And and then you like hang your stand and everything with a white beam. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Unless it's like a super full moon snow on the ground situation. Um, yeah, I just go full beam mode. Heck, my buddy Dave one night, he he touched a deer with his bow with white head it's like white head beams. Holy cow. That's crazy. Yeah, I, I, thought, <laughs> I thought he might touch it with his hand, but he just reached out his bow and tapped her on the butt. It was pretty sweet. That's crazy. So then when you get up there and, and you're like in the stand, like getting situated, getting your bow ready and everything, you go to red. Because I've always been like a red light guy. And just yeah. that was always my thought process. Like deer, I mean, it fades off so quickly it seems like that you're not really like beaming through the woods you know yeah yeah and i've just you know for hanging stands and doing that kind of thing like i'll just take the white and it's a little safer you know like i want to be able to see what i'm doing for sure Um, you know like and, and honestly like i have used the white head beam to like I had a buck and a doe this year i told you about splitting them well the the this same year i had a um uh, a buck and I couldn't tell how big he was, but I could see him up there at 50 yards and, uh, he just kind of skirted off. And I was like, well, this is pretty good. And here's a pretty good rub line. And I actually stopped. Uh, I said, this is good enough. I, I visually know there's a buck up there about 50 yards. Um, and I hung my stand and I, I've also seen deer looking at me as I've had my stand with a white headlamp, um, you know, and not be terribly concerned as long as they're not catching my wind. Yeah. That, and that's, that's definitely one of those things too. Like I, I feel like if, if I spook a deer that sees me, that's one thing, but if he smells me, then I'm thinking, okay, that's, that sucks. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like the seeing is, is one thing, but it's to me, it's really not that big of a deal when they see me, but if they smell me that I, I know the gig might be up. Um, yeah. and he might run three counties over. I don't know. Uh, what, are you in Southern Michigan? Cause I, I do think that may also be a factor, you know, like a place that has a lot of hunters, a lot of hunters with white headlamps that those deer might key in on that at, at, at some point. I, I do think oh, I wanted to ask that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm right in the middle. Like you hold up the mitten, you know how you do it. And right in the middle of the lower peninsula, right in the middle of the mitten is where I'm at. So like a town, about 20 minutes south of me is like exactly the middle of the Mich- of Michigan so I'm like just north of that um so yeah that that's where I do all my hunting around here I really don't travel anywhere around Michigan I just got a couple pieces of ground around here and mm. but the thing is like on our 215 acres we got 10 guys that are a part of it now it's kind of like public land to be honest with you but not all of them bow hunt um you know like my dad and and his my uncle and and their two buddies they really don't bow hunt anymore you know so it's us boys that you know that are from 25 to i'm 33 so like i'm the oldest one so we're the ones that bow hunt there's about four or five of us that like really bow hunt it um but we all have other pieces of property to go to as well. So it's not like the exclusive thing to go to, but my, my family farm is a part of a square mile that is basically almost all timber square mile. Um, with, with a couple little ag fields carved into it, but that's the biggest thing with my farm is, 
this year it actually went in and a lot of it got clear cut and you would not believe the the popple growth already i mean it's I, i'm excited to see how it changes the deer this year because before you go through in our properties just mature timber now there's so much understory like if there's deer in this in this clear cut you cannot see them i mean it is thicker than nice. all thick and I'm excited about that and pushing into some new areas that I've never hunted before. And that's where I'm excited about the mobile thing and going in blind. And, you know, I've scouted quite a bit this year already. Uh, in the spring I scouted. And then in the, um, couple weeks ago, I actually just went back through and did, did, I, I went back and checked some spots where I really wanted to get in just to see what the sign was. And the sign is like there. Uh, as far as runways and I've got two trees picked out already depending it's going to be depending on how close I want to get to the bedding I've got one that's like tight to the bedding um, and then I got another one that's a just off it's probably a hundred more yards from that bed or from that stand that's real tight um, and I almost don't like that because I feel like I'm going to be second guessing myself. Like, should I do this one or should I do this one? You know, so discerning the sign and everything and trying to figure out. And that's a question I had for you as well. Like you were talking about how if I get into a scenario where, you know, I have, you know, maybe three or four different trails and a couple of rubs. Like, when do you, sh when do you cut your brain off? Like, okay, like, cause you could sit there and tell your, you know, killing yourself or smashing your head against a tree where it's like well he's going to come on this one i think or you know this scrapes right here or this rubs right here like when do you stop your brain and it's like okay stop just hang the stand you know what i mean like you probably might get in a scenario where you're just overthinking things like when do you stop it yeah and and I say that kind of thought process is really like what I would say this is a, an October bow hunt and it's a lot of times an evening hunt um, where where I essentially will go into a piece and it's like, okay, I'm going to scout my way in. I, I have pins that tell me, oh, good tree stand locations, um, scrapes from the last year, maybe some rubs from last year, general bedding comments and stuff like that. Like, you know, if I, if I go for an evening bow hunt, that's when I, I feel like this is what you're asking as far as like what is going through my head as i'm walking and how do i finally say yep i've seen enough this is this is the spot am i, I understand that yeah yep there? yep 100 yep yeah and and so like and, and everything depends on on time of year if, if i if, if i look at early october uh, last year i was oh i was chasing a uh i was probably chasing a ghost but early October, I was dancing around this, this uh, farm country piece, and, you know, I was, I was scouting midday, and I found two small scrapes, and, and you know, I, was, I knew that I was going to get to this area, and I find one scrape, okay, not a big deal. Two scrapes, okay, starting to pay attention, but uh, it wasn't until I found two rubs that still had, like, shavings under them. Right, on the ground. <laughs> You're like, this ground. is fresh. <laughs> Yeah, like this is clearly, and, and that's the other thing too. Early October, there's not as many rubs as say October 25th. Um, and and so I'm like, okay, this this is starting to get to get good. Um, at this point, at, at least, you know, in, 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 based on what I've seen, based on my, my my my, I've just walked past two things, and I honestly walk kind of fast leaving the parking lot. Like I don't, um. I kind of realized that, that a lot of public is junk and you're trying to find the 10%. Um, 
Um, so that's right. like a mental thing going, going to this. So, so once I find, if I found the two rubs, um, it, it was like, okay, I need to pay attention. And as I continued to, to, Oh, go back into this, this, this piece, I found another rub and I'm looking at rubs that, that are of size, at least on this particular hunt. Um, and then I noticed like they were baseball bat trees. They were kind of higher on the tree. Like I was like, okay, like this could be pretty good. And, um, you know, at that point it wasn't until I came across like fresh deer shit. And I don't care if it's bucks or does, but it's like, I've seen two to three things that tell me this is, is pretty active. Um, and also looking ahead, knowing like, okay, there's some elevation up ahead. Like if I was a buck, like I would, I would take advantage of that little bit of elevation. Um, you know, as far as a, a bedding type habitat, like I, line of sight. Um, I think if I would press on, like, you know, I could clearly kick him up. Um, the other thing, like I look, so, so that, that's, that's where I stopped there. I, I guess another good example of this is I like rubs, especially late October. Like you can't go wrong with rubs and scrapes and, and, and traditional buck sign, but I just, I need to have more than just one or two. Um, I, the, the, in 2018, I went into this piece and, and I'd never been there before. And I jumped either a deer or a coyote. I never did lay eyes on it right off the, the long easement into the public. And I was like, okay, um, I'm going into this bedding area. I've, I've off season scouted, no, knew it was torched last year with rubs, two to three rubs. Okay. And and they're, uh, we'll call it 50, 50 yards apart at this point. And as I get back there, I notice, huh, two good rubs, 20 yards apart. And I get to a tree, I get to like, oh, about 70 yards from, from the tree stand emblem on my map. And I see three smaller trees, but they are all shredded. And then five yards to the right, there are more trees shredded. Like at that point, you know, like I was like, I kind of need to be able to shoot this. Um, yep. There were bigger rubs out, out in the front, but now I've got a bunch of collection and, and uh, I did okay, see so one. I got to stop you real quick. Yep. When you see that, when you see like you got a couple of rubs here, then you look over and then you like you got four more rubs over there. What what is that telling you that this is like? What is this area to you? I guess it, 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 um, to me, there, there's clearly a heightened activity, and I was in the edge of a bedding area. Like I knew, like it was it was thicker. Um, higher stem count, smaller trees, um, more of a thickety type area in farm country. And it was just like, dude, I, I think I passed six, seven rubs, you okay. know, at this yep. point. And it, it was more about the distance. Like if like one big rub, not a big deal to me. Now I noticed a couple rubs a little closer together and then like just a shredded row, you know, like seven trees within like, say, a, a we'll call it a 15, 20 yard circle. Like, like clearly there's something going on. Obviously I'm on a deer trail or, or seeing multiple trails at this point. But when I saw like the cheese grater type effect, you know, multiple yep. shredded trees mm -hmm. that to me said, okay, I need to stop. And I actually stopped short of my tree stand emblem on my map. Um, and this buck just did happen to, to come my way. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's a little bit of, of, Oh, that, that skill set I don't think I've, I've fully dialed in. It, it's an evolution. But, like, you know, I look at uh, even browse. Like, I'll be passing Greenbrier and look to see if it's butted off because sometimes, you, you know, you can just eliminate, like, or, or if there's oaks, but yet there's no deer shit on the oaks. 
um, and there's no crunch tops. Well, clearly, like, yes, there's a food source here and there might be one or up, but like, this isn't, this isn't what I need at this point, especially late October. Um, you know, do you look at, at, at scrapes, you know, are there better tracks in them? Um, I'm, I'm trying to dial in my track game. I'm by no means an expert. Um, but it is something I find myself looking down a little more, especially where I've got softer mud or harder trails. Um, yeah, it's a little bit of a, uh, and a lot of that is Aaron. I think I've off season scouted a lot of these pieces. So I kind of know where I suspect some, some uh, better betting is. And, and so if the buck sign is leaning towards that, that's a pretty damn good, like uh, effect. But if it's ice cold, if there's, you know, nothing there, well, I need to either pull out or, or figure out what's going on in general. For sure. You know, with those rubs as well, do you ever look at, you know, maybe the rubs on the north side of the tree on all of them? Do you ever look at, it's something I do, you know, if it's, especially if it's on like a trail or something like that, like I like to see where the bucks are going. Like that kind of tells me what way he's heading. Uh, Cause I've never really seen a buck walking, you know, north and turn around and put a rub on the north side of a tree and then turn around and walk north again not to say they don't do that but i feel like bucks are gonna more rub on trees that the way they're kind of going so when i find a rub i'm I, I i'm like dissecting that rub the height of it i mean dan and fault does the height kind of thing and, and that'll kind of tell you you know, normally what kind of caliber caliber of a buck that you're looking at usually. Um, but then I'm looking at what way he's going. And then if, if I think he's going into bedding or something like that, then I kind of take it a step further and say, okay, well, is he doing this, you know, after, is he coming from a food source and he's doing this after dark? Um, if he's going into bedding or vice versa, like, do you, do you dissect that at all is, is as far as what side the tree, the rub is on? You know, I can't say that uh, that has played into my mind. Uh, that might be an opportunity. I think more I'm looking at my off-season mapping notes and, and trying to assess what I think has gone on. I've, I've literally never thought about, like, okay, you know, assessing the direction of, of each of those roads. That's, that's a good ad. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that one in the note, <laughs> note here today. Well, well I, the reason why is it's something that my dad had taught me back in the day, and he's like, you know, these bucks are typically more, you know, walking this route, and this is why. So then this instance happens to me a lot, but just for instance that's fresh in my mind, this new area that I've been scouting on my family farm, I know where the bedding's at. I'm I'm 100 percent sure where the bedding's at uh the food source is a lot farther away but so i'm getting tight to bedding and that's what i'm going to try to hunt you know early on in october i'm going to see if i can get real close to it um and you know in october and and i don't know if i'll be able to hunt in the rut because usually i'm gone filming so i got to kind of be aggressive and go in and do it but i found a series of rubs a rub line and all the trees are rubbed on the it'd be on the east side of the trees and the bedding is to the west so that was telling me that he's more than likely doing that probably you know there's a couple different ways to look at it but he was more doing it when he's going back into bedding which could be a morning you know um coming from the food because he was coming from a food source so uh, th- that's kind of the way I was discerning it and and trying to read that sign a little bit and just take it a step further 
Yeah. Now, um, it's funny you say that. So, so I was just kind of recalling my, my, my 2019 season. I think, oh, if I had to put a time frame, let's call it October 12th or 15th, kind of mid-October, I, I found a rub. And now that after you just said that, I kind of remember I went on a scout. Like, I didn't even have a stand. And um, I followed a rub line back in. And, and if I recall this, all those rubs were on the same way. Yep. Like, as far as I had to be – Oh, I, I can't, I don't, I, without pulling a map up, I can't remember north, south, east, west, but like, I know where the field and the truck were, they were all, I had to be like essentially between, I had to walk on a certain side, but yes, all those rubs were, were essentially run the same way. I had two small bucks, like basket racks come out that night. Um, but yes, you, I hundred percent, literally what you just said, I'm kind of recalling last year, all those rubs, you had to be on, on kind of one side of the, the, the field edge to see, uh, I say field edge, but I was in the woods, say 50 yards yep, um, yeah. on the public with, with a private field behind me. But yes, all those rubs face the same way. Yeah, I got you. And then another thing that I have come across as well is I've found areas where there's been rubs, like kind of you had mentioned where there's maybe six or eight rubs all in like a 20, 30 yard area, but all of them are just kind of like scattered. Like to me, that was on, on my family farm there's two areas that I, that come to mind and it is a staging area. That's where, uh, both of them were staging areas where you could get on the edge of them and you could have deer, you know, that that's where their last little spot is before they go out to feed. Um, and they're right. Like you said, you know, you're, I don't know, what'd you say? 30 yards off the field edge. These were about 40 to 50 yards off a field edge coming from bedding. Um, and that's kind of the way I took it is, is like the deer, there's a high density of deer that hang out right here before they make that last little plunge into the food source and in the evening. Um, and that's just, where they hang out. So not to say that happens every time, but that's just something that I've seen and kind of picked up on over the years. Dude, that's an awesome little ad for the toolbox for me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take notes, man. Like, like literally, like, I think that's something I can take to the timber this fall. So, so I'm glad you, you said that. Well, good. Hopefully it works out for you. <laughs> Hopefully it works out for me this year, <laughs> but well, cool, man. Um, I know we're, we're coming up on time here. I, we covered a ton and actually there's a lot more than I want to cover. We might have to do a second part or do this, but I want to dive deeper into your public land attack and, um, I just, I know you got things to do and I got some things to do. So I think we probably wrap it up here. Okay. Yeah, man. I appreciate you having me on, um, a couple of cool topics from small farms to, oh, kind of mobile hunting. But yeah, dude, I, I, I enjoyed this talk. The rub line pick up there at the end. That's huge, man. I, I I'm excited to look at that this fall. Good deal. Well, t- let me know if it works for you. And if you kind of pick up on the same things that I've been seeing over the years and I'd be interested to see what you come up with. Yeah, it's funny. Like I may just turn around and call two big woods guys. I know I may I may shoot a text to Heath Cisco and uh, oh, I feel like Troy might 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 have some two cents on this Troy Pottinger. So so definitely, let me know what they'd say because I know those two. I know of those two, and I know that they're big buck killers. So I'd like to see what they if they've picked up on something like that or even seen if anything happens. So yeah. Yeah. Well, cool, man. If you know, if anybody wanted to, you know, figure out whitetail, where a whitetail experience is, where to listen to it, where to, you know, see any of your content, kind of do a little drop right now and let them know where you can find it. Yeah, like if you look up the whitetail experience on social media, you'll find us there: Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Um, we've kind of actually put a lot of effort into our YouTube channel at this point, uh, and, and anything from gear reviews to like. 
you know, five tips for mobile hunting, like, you know, at a basic level or uh, some of those little, uh, how high can you climb with three sticks, four sticks, and, and just little testing stuff that, that a guy that may be looking to get into mobile hunting should definitely take a look at. Um, we have a very loose podcast, and I mean loose, like it's it's strictly, it's a lot of uh, public land talk, mobile hunting talk. It's um, it's not as high quality as Mr. Aaron here. We are not pros. <laughs> it's kind of a sidebar project. It, it, I like to talk to high caliber deer hunters sometimes, and so it's a selfish way for me to ask questions. Uh, but <laughs> it's out go. there. Yeah, yeah. Dude, literally, like that's why I started the podcast, because I'd call guys like Justin and Heath and be like, dude, like I just learned a lot, like clearly I'm in this evolving stage as a deer hunter and, and want to ask these questions, but yeah, that's, that's, you can find all that stuff out there. Aaron, I really appreciate you having me on and, and let me plug that stuff. So no problem, thanks. man. Well, thank you for coming on. I always enjoy the conversations with you and hopefully we can do this again. Like I said, uh, you got a Kentucky hunt coming up. So if you're successful on that hunt or have a good experience or anything like that, you might have to jump back on and do a little, uh, do a little recap on it. I'd like to know what, uh, what happened down there. So, Oh, if you want to watch two guys struggle, that's gonna be. <laughs> it's a that's a four year plan, you know. Can I put together some puzzle pieces sometime in the next four years? Kill a velvet buck. Yep. I hope it happens, man. Well, good luck to you guys. Thanks. All right, man. Thank you very much for coming on. And there you have it. Thanks to Byron for coming on and doing this. He's a good dude, solid guy. He knows his stuff. He's, you know, a student of the game, as I like to say a lot about you know, a lot of the guests that come on, even me, like everybody's learning, you know, and that's what I'm just trying to get out there and, and hopefully help people that might be listening to this, maybe give them a little different perspective on the way to look at something. So appreciate Byron to come on doing that again. I, I haven't said it in a while, but thanks for the support and go to iTunes, leave a five-star rating and leave a review on there. I'd, that's greatly appreciated. And and uh, that goes a long way. So thank you guys very much. And uh, don't forget, next week we'll be right here on the Fall Podcast. <laughs>